your Bibles are open to Luke chapter 1. 25 years ago, I was uh, getting ready to celebrate my first Christmas here as your pastor. And as the holiday approached, Earl Held came to me and he said, uh, my daughter Heather is engaged to a young man and uh, they're going to be here. They lived in Ocala, Florida. They were both teaching at a Christian school there. So they're going to be here over the Christmas vacation, and they would like to meet with you uh, to talk to you about the possibility of maybe you performing their wedding this upcoming June. And so uh, I set a time to do that. But before I met with Brian and Heather together, um, uh, they made an arrangement for me just to meet with Brian all by himself. Um, I, was in, I was asking the Lord to help us have a youth pastor here. Uh, when I first came, we didn't even have a teen Sunday school class. And uh, so my wife and I were trying to teach a class on Sunday for the teens and try to do an activity now and then. But we knew that the teenagers, we just wanted them to have a good program. So uh, I, I made an appointment that I was going to meet with Brian. And I'm not sure who was more nervous, whether it was Brian or myself. I'd never hired anybody. I'd been a pastor uh, for some seven years or so, but I'd never hired a staff member before. So he was my guinea pig and uh, he had never uh, been a youth pastor and never interviewed for such a thing. So uh, we just sort of were two bundles of nerves sitting across the desk from one another. And uh, we talked, I don't know, maybe 40, 45 minutes or so. And uh, a little later on, I was talking to my wife and she knew that uh, I was going to be meeting with that young man. Brian was 25 at the time. And she said, so what did you think? I said, if I had a checklist of everything that I was looking for in a second man slash youth pastor, he checked off every single thing on my list. And of course, the rest is history. Uh, he prayed about it. I prayed about it. God brought them here. And for 17 years, they served in our church ministry. And he and I still continue to be good friends to this day. He just, he just checked off all the boxes. And, and, uh, and most of you are eyewitnesses that uh, it, it certainly was something of, of the Lord. Is the Lord is putting together the cast of people that will be a part of what we refer to oftentimes as the Christmas story. Did it ever dawn on you that God had a checklist? There were some certain things that God was looking for. In the book of Ezekiel chapter 22, the Lord speaks and says, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. God was searching for a particular individual, in that case, a person who would be dedicated to what is called intercessory prayer, praying for other people to God. God was searching for a certain man. When King Saul was being rejected as the king of Israel because pride had taken over his life, he was no longer listening to the word of God, nor to the man of God. God told Samuel the prophet, he said, that I've sought a man after my own heart. And he sent him to the town of Bethlehem where one day the Savior would be born. And there he found a shepherd boy by the name of David. And if you will, David checked off all the boxes of what God was looking for to be a king. 
when, when uh, the physician Luke is telling us about the events surrounding the birth of Christ. Last week we saw that he didn't start with Joseph and Mary and he didn't start in Bethlehem. He started in Jerusalem with an elderly priest by the name of Zacharias. His wife's name was Elizabeth and together they had served the Lord. They were people with a tremendous testimony. I'd like to read the verse again. The Bible says they were both righteous before God walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. God is always looking for the right type of person. E.M. Bounds, in his tremendous little book, The Power of Prayer, said, man is always on the search for better methods. God is always on the search for better men. When God chose Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth, what, a, what an amazing testimony. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord blameless. Gabriel appeared to him. We studied this man last week and uh, the first words out of his mouth uh, were, fear not, Zacharias, thy prayer is heard. What prayer? Uh, Zacharias had prayed for a son, he and his wife, but that prayer, they had stopped praying that a long time ago. They were old and well stricken in age and we learned that uh, don't stop praying. Just because God didn't answer yet does not mean that God's not going to answer. And it does not mean that God has not answered. And of course, Zacharias struggled with his faith just a little bit, didn't he? Um, he's, he's looking at his circumstances and his situation instead of seeing the power of God. And, and uh, he, his, his question to Gabriel is, whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. I wonder if Elizabeth appreciated her husband telling other people that she's an old lady. I'm not sure. Um, and that wasn't a, a question of a sincere seeker. We know from what Gabriel responded to him, Zacharias had no faith in what God could do. He saw his age and the age of his wife. He saw that this was beyond ability and he is questioning the veracity of this message for that reason, the Bible says he was made mute for the next nine months and couldn't speak until after their little boy, John the Baptist, would be born. The Bible says in verse 24, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach from among men. She's actually rejoicing here. She is beside herself with joy. It was often a custom in, in uh, the ancient world for a lady who found herself with child to uh, confine herself and stay out of the public eye and so forth. And uh, she's actually rejoicing, saying, it's hard to believe. Uh, here I am, uh, um, well stricken in age, and God's taken away my reproach, and she's praising God. And it was in the sixth month of her pregnancy that the same angel Gabriel that came to Zacharias was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. When he appeared to Zacharias, it was in the temple in Jerusalem. The temple was one of the wonders of the ancient world. And even though this was not Solomon's temple, King Herod had built it to an enormous lengths and great, great expense was poured into it. And that is where Zacharias first met the angel Gabriel. Nazareth was as far to the other end of the spectrum of life as the temple from the temple as could be. 
Nazareth was, Nazareth was hill country. It still is. It was, it was uh, in a region called Galilee. It was considered by the people in Jerusalem to be sort of like the hillbillies. Okay, it was like the Appalachia of its day. Um, Nathaniel would later ask when the Savior appeared to him, he said, can any good thing come out of, out of Nazareth? It was a place where people were considered to generally be illiterate. Uh, the lifestyle was, was very simple. Uh, people were often farmers or tradesmen of some type, but wealth was hard to find. Uh, if you go to Nazareth today, uh, even though there is a lot of tourism, because that is the place where, uh, of course, Gabriel appeared to Mary, that is the place where Jesus grew up, even today, Nazareth is a very poor town. Uh, I've been there, and poverty abounds other than one or two isolated places of tourism. And God comes, and he finds this little lady by the name of Mary, and he is about to speak to her and reveal God's amazing plan for this young lady. Because of so much false teaching about Mary, we often hesitate to think about her, to talk about her. I look back over my Christian life and, and I think probably uh, I'd been saved 20 or 30 years before I ever heard a sermon about Mary. Because we're almost afraid if we talk about her and we talk about her in Bible terms that somebody's gonna think that we are leaning towards the worship of Mary, the Bible does not teach that. It does not teach that. Mary was not sinless. She was not sinless. Look, if you would, to verse number 46. This is called the Magnificat. Mary is praising God. She is with her cousin Elizabeth. And Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord and my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my what? Savior. Mary is understanding here that as a sinner, like everyone else, she too needed a savior and that God had provided that. Uh, Mary was not sinless. Mary was not a perpetual virgin, as some religions teach. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 55 and 56, we find out that uh, Jesus had brothers and sisters, um, so Mary had other children. She was a virgin when Jesus was born, but then her and Joseph had other children together. We believe at least six of them. Mary doesn't help us get saved. She is not a co-redemptrix. In fact, she has nothing to do with anybody getting saved, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Uh, Mary does not answer prayers. She does not do that. The Bible says in Psalm 65 and verse two, O thou that hearest prayer, talking to the Lord, unto thee shall all flesh come. For Mary to hear and answer prayer, she would have to be omnipresent, everywhere, all at once. She would have to be omniscient, knowing all things that were thought or said by people all over the planet. And she would have to be omnipotent and have all power. Those are three terms that can only be applied to God himself. Now, with that said, I'm not tearing Mary down. I'm just saying, let's not put her on a false pedestal. Let's not worship her. There was no command in the Bible to do so. In fact, there was a lady that came to Jesus one day and tried to exalt Mary and so forth. And, and, and Jesus said, no, 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 you're missing it. The ones that are really blessed are the ones that believe on me. Um, but with that said, 
God chose a young lady and he chose her on purpose. As I had a checklist of things I was looking for in a youth pastor, in an associate pastor, so God had some things he was looking for and the Bible tells us some great things about this lady. Every young, every young lady in this room ought to, ought to sit up and take notice and say, Would, if I was there, could God have chosen me? Does God see me the same way? And every believer, man or woman, we ought to understand what God was looking for in Mary. Um, he's looking for in all of us in, in, in one sense or another. I want you to notice number one. Mary was a woman of a sanctified character. She was holy. I don't mean sinless, but like her cousin Elizabeth, much older than her, righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Mary was poor. She lived in a poor town. We know in Luke chapter 2, when Jesus was being dedicated in the temple, when Joseph and Mary brought him in somewhere around the age of 40 days old, they were offering the sacrifice as required by the law of Moses. They were supposed to bring in a lamb or a goat unless they were very poor, and then they could bring in two turtle doves or two pigeons. And the Bible says that it was the latter that Joseph and Mary offered uh, uh, for his dedication. Uh, Mary's a poor lady, uh, but she was a godly lady. The Bible says to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph. She was pure. She kept herself clean. She saved herself for that man of God's choosing in her life. Had she been anything less, God could not have used her for that vital role. Isaiah, I believe it's chapter seven said, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. If Mary had followed the, the, uh, the mindset even of our present world today where purity has no value, God would have had to pass her by. Now, that does not mean that God cannot forgive sin. Aren't you glad that he can? Uh, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all unrighteousness. Uh, but but I'm, I'm, I want you to understand, Mary was a woman of a sanctified character. Character. Mary's testimony stands out in stark contrast to many who even today profess the name of Christ, but are far more concerned with being sensual than with being spiritual. Um, we, doubt, we doubt very much that Mary had a closet full of beautiful clothing. We doubt that, it, that she had the latest styles in shoes. We doubt that she had uh, very much in the way of gold or silver or any jewelry at all other than that which might have been handmade. Uh, she had no outer trappings that the world would say is all important, but she had a heart that was clean and right before her God. Remember when God was looking for the next king of Israel, he told Samuel, I have sought me a man after my own heart, and that man was David. The second thing I want you to understand, not only was Mary a woman of a sanctified character, she was a woman of a surrendered character. She was a woman of a surrendered character. As this conversation between Mary and the angel unfolded, verse 28, the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Notice it didn't say blessed art thou above women, just among women. When she saw him, 
She was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. We do not know if this was at, at night. We don't know if Mary was going about her chores and this angel appeared to her. He would have appeared to her uh, in male form. Uh, we're not sure. We, the only thing we're really sure of is that, that she was alone and she was troubled at his saying. She didn't recognize him. In Nazareth, everybody knew everyone. They, they all would have been either related to each other in one form or another, or they, they, they dealt with each other in business. This was somebody she didn't know who, is, who was talking to her. Uh, the Lord is with thee and so forth. The angel said unto her, fear not, Mary, for thou hast found, found favor with God. The word favor means grace. Thou hast found favor with God. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth the son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There shall be no end. In that one message from Gabriel, there were several Old Testament prophecies rolled up there. And uh, Mary would have recognized them. We're going to talk a little later of her understanding of scripture. They were all, they were all messages about the promised Messiah. Ever since Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, God's people had been looking for the seed of the woman who would bruise the serpent's head. That, that message was elaborated upon as God revealed to Abraham that in him all the families of the earth would be blessed. And then that would go to Isaac and then to his son Jacob and from Jacob to his son Judah, from Judah to one of his descendants, David. And those prophecies were built up upon and more and more detail was given. And now the angel is revealing to her, you are going to be the vessel that God uses to bring that about. And your child shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. But I want you to understand Mary had a legitimate concern. Verse 34. Then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be? Seeing I know not a man. She was espoused to Joseph. They were engaged to be married, but they had not come together in a physical manner. Uh, engagement in Bible days was a legal contract. Today, if you get engaged and something doesn't work out, uh, she just throws your ring into the pond and you get some scuba gear and, go, scuba gear and hope you can go find it again. Bible days, if you broke an engagement for any reason, it required a bill of divorcement. She was engaged to this man, Joseph, a carpenter, a man who would have been well known in the town of Nazareth, but they had not yet come together. And so the angel tells her that she's going to bear this child. And she says, but how can this be? I've not been with a man. And Mary's got a, a valid question because the angel's acting and talking to her like this is a done deal. The angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the son of God. This will not be Joseph's son. This child that will be born of you is the son of God. In other words, she was going to start carrying this child. She would deliver this child before her and Joseph ever came together. Now listen carefully. Mary knows that she's had a, a divine visitation from an angel of God. He has given a prophecy to her. He's elaborated on that prophecy to her. 
How is she gonna convince anyone else that, that an angel told her this would happen? We will read on a little bit that she went to be with her cousin Elizabeth for about three months. When she came back to Nazareth, she was showing. When she left, she wasn't. She's coming back and it's clear to everyone that she's gonna have a baby. Joseph knows that baby's not his because they've not been together yet. Do you understand in that culture, Mary, Mary's a marked girl. By their law and customs, if so, if so desired, Joseph could have had her brought before the religious leadership of the day and they could have her stoned to death for being immoral. And Mary has to understand that, that, that this angel is telling her that the Holy Ghost is gonna overshadow her. That which is born of her is gonna be called the Son of God. And she knows she's not gonna be able to convince her mom and dad. How is she gonna tell Joseph all about that? You, you, you realize that Mary, Mary has to understand her whole life has just been turned upside down and inside out. The longer you walk with God, the more you're going to find out God has a way of taking us out of our comfort zone. Wouldn't it be nice if anything God asked for us was always an easy thing? When God asked Moses to go to Egypt and, and say to Pharaoh, let my people go that they may serve me, uh, that wasn't an easy thing. Moses had a, a price on his head. He had killed an Egyptian and Pharaoh put a contract out on him. And now God says, I want you to go back and, and speak to Pharaoh thus. It wasn't an easy thing to do. Uh, when David stood on the battlefield across from Goliath, here's a, a, a young boy facing off against a man who is, uh, by all estimates, uh, somewhere around nine and a half feet tall. God's will is generally not an easy thing. Gen God's will generally costs us something. God, God uh, told Moses, said, what is in your hand? He said, I have a rod. He said, cast it down. And oftentimes God with us says, what do you have? Will you give it to me? Will you let me have it? He's asking Mary, I want you to give up your reputation. I want you to give up the ability to even defend yourself against these charges because there's no way that you can. Will you do that? Notice her response in verse 38. And Mary said, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. The word handmaid literally means a female slave. Lord, I'm your slave. Whatever you tell me to do is okay with me. Can that be said of us? Can that be said of us? I wonder how many times we balk at the leadership of God in our lives. Well, Lord, you're asking too much. Lord, that's just, that's just too hard. Mary's response it's something far harder than anything that I think we're ever going to have to deal with was behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. This young lady had a surrendered spirit to the Lord that even Zacharias the priest didn't have. What do you mean? How in the world is that going to happen? I'm old, my wife's even older. What? And he's, he's almost scoffing at it. And for that, he was made mute. I wonder if the Lord just stood back in awe and said, what an amazing young lady this is, that no matter what I've asked of her, she's okay with it. Can God say that of you? Can God say that of me? 
be it unto me according to thy word. It was 25 and a half or so years ago, 26 years ago, about that I preached here for the first time. And it was the Sunday after Thanksgiving, so it was right around this time of the year. Uh, I was pastoring in, in Pennsylvania, and if Anna were in here, uh, she would tell you we were very happy there. Uh, we had a sweet church. We had seen God do some absolute miracles. And the last thing I wanted to do was to leave and go anywhere. And uh, we came here and visited. And uh, as we were driving out that way on the following Monday, my wife said, what do you think? And I said, there's no way I'm going there. There's no way. Some of you were here and you probably already know why I thought that. Um, and I, I was fussing and fighting with the Lord because, you see, I, I loved where I was. I, I knew those people. I'd won many of them to Christ. We had seen God answer prayer and God work miracles. But all of a sudden, I found God saying, can I have that? And I wanted to hang on to that. But if I was going to be in God's will, by the way, if you were going to be in God's will, and if the folks in Pennsylvania were going to be in God's will, I was going to have to let go and give God what he wanted and follow the leadership of God. And, and I confess, I struggled with that. Six years ago yesterday, I had to give over the most important human being in my life. God chose not to answer my prayer the way I wanted it answered. By the way, he healed her. He healed her, never to be sick another day in her existence. But it wasn't what I wanted. And I faced an important moment in my life. Can I be okay with that with God? Or is that going to become my excuse to get bitter? Will that be my excuse to walk through the life now with a bad attitude because it didn't work out the way that I wanted? You see, in this young lady from Nazareth, she would have been considered uneducated in her day. But she knew God. As we'll see in a moment, she knew her Bible. And when God said, this is what I'm going to do, she said, I'm your handmaid. I'm your slave. Whatever you want, I'm yours to command. I have to ask myself often, why do I struggle so much with the leadership of God? Let me hasten on. Mary was a woman of a scriptural character. In verse number 46, we read just a couple verses of this. Mary went to uh, a city of Judah where her cousin Elizabeth, we met her and her husband last week in the message. She was uh, six months pregnant with John the Baptist. And uh, there was a conversation went on there uh, that we're not going to dwell in today. We may look at it next Sunday. Uh, and Mary begins to praise the Lord. And Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. There's that word again. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. By the way, we wouldn't be referring to her at all if she would have told God no, would we? For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. 
and his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He has showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things and the rich he hath sent away empty. He hath hope in his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. I want you to understand in these few verses, Mary demonstrated a knowledge of scripture that a lot of us maybe don't have. Uh, if you take notes, uh, I'm not going to take the time to turn to them. In verse 46, she quotes Psalm 34 verses two and three. In verse 48, the first part, she quotes Psalm 138, verse 6. In the second part, she quotes 1 Samuel 1.11. In verse 49, the first part, she quotes Psalm 71.19. In the second part, she quotes Psalm 111, verse 9. Verse 50, she quotes Psalm 103.17. Verse 51, she quotes Psalm 98.1. Verse 52, she quotes Job 5.11. And in verse 53, she quotes uh, Psalm 34.10. Verse 54, she quotes Psalm 98.3. By the way, she didn't whip out her phone, get Esword open, and look for some verses. She knew the scriptures, Brother Rob. She was praying the scriptures just as much as she would talk. She knew her Bible. I'm, I'm wondering, did she have a mom and dad that took Deuteronomy chapter six to heart uh, that, where God said, thou shalt teach them unto thy children in, in the way as you walk, when you rise up, when you lie down uh, and so forth. I wonder if Mary had a mom and a dad that taught her the Bible like that. I, I wonder if at the, at the synagogue in Nazareth, and they did have one, Jesus would later uh, speak in that synagogue. I wonder if they had faithful people teaching the Bible Bible to their children, to their young people. But listen carefully, you can have the best parents and the best teachers in the world, but if there's not something in your heart that says, I want to know what God says, and you're not like David said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee, the best teachers in the world will avail you of nothing. Mary had a heart that loved this book. She devoured this book. She could easily say with Job, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. You understand her life's at a crossroad. Everything is about to change. She's grabbing hold of that promise of God for with God, nothing shall be impossible. And she's grabbing a hold of the word of God, verse after verse after verse saying, God's fulfilled this and God's fulfilled that and God's done this and God's God's done that and she's got a hope that's going to see her through the rest of her life. She was a young lady of a scriptural character. You and I will never read the Bible enough. We will never hear enough sermons. We will never learn enough Bible. We've got the rest of our lives and we ought to be soaking up this book uh, more than we soak up anything else. One day, I guess it was last year during the school year, um, Tim's four daughters had all been sick off and on. Both of them taught in school. And so when one of the girls was sick, one of them had to stay home and they took turns. And uh, Tim called me up and said, Dad, Carla and I just can't afford, we can't both be gone again. And Ellie's sick. Could you come over and just spend the day with Ellie? 
And I said, sure, I'd be glad to. So I took some stuff with me and, and I was there when they were getting ready to leave for school and they showed me where you know, all the food and stuff was and what to do for Ellie and where her medicine was if she, re- she spiked a fever or whatever. And I sat down in the living room with Ellie and Ellie had plans for me. <laughs> Ellie was gonna teach Papa how to play Minecraft. How many know what Minecraft is? It's like Atari from Neanderthal days. It's Atari before Atari. Uh, it, it, it to me is the dumbest, most mind-numbing game that there is. And she's teaching, she wants me to play and uh, you know, you're, you're pushing the wrong button. And you know, there's A, B, and there's this arrow and that arrow, and there's this button, and there's, there's all this kind of stuff. I liked it better when there was just a, a joystick. And that's all you had to worry about. L- listen carefully. For six hours, that child played Minecraft. For six hours, she didn't stop to eat lunch. I was required to bring it into her majesty, into the living room, and and she never stopped playing Minecraft, and she never stopped talking. Her grandmother's genes are strong in that one. She never stopped. And she didn't need me as a part of the conversation. She was carrying on everything all by herself. And all I had to do every now and then was go, huh, really? And it didn't matter what, as long as I let her know that I was still breathing, we were happy. And she was just immersed and she would bring up these, these screens or fields or I don't know what it was. It had hundreds of little tiny squares that people with bifocals can't even focus on to see. And she's pulling out arms armor and stuff. And she, she came up with this giant school of dolphins, uh, hundreds and hundreds of them that she made a, a special place for. And then she proceeded to kill them all off one by one <laughs> six hours. And she knew all the ins and the outs of that. And I, I laughed with her about it. I laughed with Tim and Carla. And I said, the only time I'm watching Ellie again is if she's just laying in bed and she's sleeping all day. By the way, there's nothing sinful about what that little girl was doing, but isn't it amazing we can spend hours learning all the nuances of a game that means nothing, and we've got a book that means everything. Amen. Well, I've heard enough preaching. I've read enough. Uh, Mary wasn't that kind of girl. Mary didn't have to get a concordance out to look up a verse on Magnify. She, she didn't have to look, get, a, get a concordance to look up a verse about Abraham and God's promise. They just rolled out of her heart and thus off of her lips. She was such a scriptural young lady. Mary was a woman of a steadfast character. Mary was obviously present at the birth of Christ. She was present at the, the, uh, his dedication in the temple. She was present when he was 12 years of age after he had been left behind in Jerusalem for three days and her and her father came and finally found him at the end of that. Mary was there. She was present at his first miracle that he performed in John chapter two in Cana of Galilee. She was present the first time the Pharisees confronted her son. She was present at the crucifixion and watched her son die. She was present in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, the last time that she appeared in scripture. Do you understand that almost everywhere Jesus was, so was Mary. She wasn't in and out and up and down and off and on and hot and cold. 
Well, if I feel like it, I'll be there. If I don't have anything more important, if there's food, I'll go. Not, no, not, not Mary. If it's her son was there, I'm going to be there. She was of a steadfast character. Can I get you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15? We're going to look at this and then one more verse and I'll be done this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The verse is familiar. The Bible says in verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You understand that when Gabriel appeared to Mary, none of the New Testament had been written. The events in the life of Christ were yet to happen. The events of the early church were futuristic. She grabbed a hold of the scripture that she had and she let it guide and govern her life in every way. The Bible says you and I are supposed to follow that pattern. Steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And here's why, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I'm sure glad that Mary was there when God called on her. I'm sure glad that she didn't say, not me. No way are you doing that to me. No way am I giving that to you. Or I have other plans. I wonder what people... There was none of that in Mary. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. And turn with me one last place uh, to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. The prophet Samuel has walked into the town of Bethlehem where Jesus would one day be born. There was a man named Jesse that lived there. He had a number of sons, at least seven, possibly eight. And Samuel walked into the town and said, I'm declaring a feast unto the Lord. Now, when a prophet came into a town in those days and declared that, it meant one of two things. Either somebody had done something wrong and the prophet was there to pronounce a judgment and it had to be dealt with or something wonderful was about to happen. So he said, I'm declaring a feast to the Lord. And uh, notice if you would please, verse four, Samuel did that which the Lord spake and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, comest thou peaceably? And he said, peaceably. I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and Come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. That's the only family that was called by name. Said, make sure Jesse and his sons come. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab. This is Samuel. He looked on Eliab. That's the firstborn. And said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. I wonder what Samuel saw when he looked at that man. We know a couple chapters later, Eliab is going to be in Saul's army. He was a soldier. He must have had an imposing stature. I doubt if Eliab looked like me. 
five foot six. I'm going to guess he was at least that taller, taller. I'm going to guess that he was a man with, with uh, bronzed skin from being out in the sun, possibly big arms, big hands, a, a man who was used to hard work, possibly a man who, who looked kingly and stately. There was something about him. And Samuel said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Of course, this verse is misused. It is not about standards and biblical separation. It's about just judging someone's worthiness or, or goodness based on just appearance. Obviously, Eliab was a handsome guy. Obviously, he was a big man because God talked about, talked about his countenance and talked about his stature. But God said, when I look in here where it really counts, there's nothing there. And they went on to the next brother, Abinadab. After him in verse 9, they went to Shammah. They made seven of Jesse's sons to pass by. And he said, the Lord hath not chosen these. Samuel said unto Jesse, or hear all thy children. He said, there remaineth yet the youngest. Behold, he keepeth the sheep. The youngest son was generally not much more than a household servant, especially with that many older brothers. Samuel said unto Jesse, send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy. That gives us the idea maybe David was a redhead with all of a beautiful countenance. He was a nice looking boy and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. God was looking for somebody to be king. And he looked over the whole family and said, Can't use you. Can't use you. And then he looked at the one that nobody else considered to be of any worth, the shepherd boy. And he saw there a boy described by God himself as a man after my own heart. God said, that's the one. So in Luke chapter one, God dispatches Gabriel and said, I found her. I found her. She's amazing. She's amazing. She's a sanctified young lady. She is such a surrendered lady. She's not going to say no. She's not going to fight even like Zacharias did. She's a lady that is filled with scripture and it's brimming over, controlling her life. And she's a lady I can count on. And so he goes to that poor little village up in the mountains and he finds a poor girl named Mary. She's engaged to a young carpenter named Joseph and said, you're the one God's chosen. What an amazing lady. What an amazing lady. As we talk about the Christmas story and the cast of character God, God's put together, do you understand that God's still looking for people to use? He's still looking for people to bless. But God doesn't bless us on our terms, and he doesn't use us on our terms. He uses us on his terms, and it's the same terms he's always had. Would God choose you? Would he choose me? I have to ask myself a lot. I wonder 
if there's something I'm holding on to that I won't let God have. And God said, son, I'd like to bless you. I'd like to use you. Are you going to be willing to let go? I wonder if you're holding on to something. Mary held on to nothing, just said, here I am, the handmaid of the Lord. Can we bow for prayer? How many would say this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed?